If you would pray with me, and then we're gonna that's all right. We're gonna look at that passage together, but let's pray first. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered in your name. Uh, we thank you uh, for all that you've done for us. Uh, we thank you uh, that you've given us your word, that you've preserved it for us, that we can know you, that we can know what you're like, that we can grow in our understanding of who you are, and we pray that we would do that today. We pray that you would be the one who leads and guides us in all things. We pray that as we open your word, that you would show us, that you would teach us, that you would reveal to us uh, more fully who you are. We pray that we would leave here having seen you, uh, understanding who we are in you, and that you would continue to draw us closer to you each and every day. And so we confess that we can't do any of these things without you. We ask that you would move in this place, that you would uh, illuminate our hearts and our minds uh, for your honor and for your glory. And we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, happy almost uh, New Year. Uh, I think I said last week, uh, I'm glad that uh, Christmas Eve fell on a Sunday because we got to kind of bracket Christmas Eve morning and evening. Uh, and so as we went into Christmas uh, with what's most important and thinking about what it really means. And I'm glad that uh, New Year's Eve falls on a Christ, on a on a Sunday uh, this year, and so I was thinking about that. Like, uh, uh, there's something exciting about New Year. Uh, thinking, uh, kind of clean slate, and the calendar turns over, and it's a new day, and all the things that kind of come with it. Uh, new beginnings. I know it's largely symbolic. It's really you just wake up and it's tomorrow. But we like to say, you know, 2024 and a new year and all those things. And and I like that in the sense of what we believe as followers of Jesus that we believe in a new creation. Uh, we believe that we are a new creation. We believe that there's a new way of living in Jesus and a new way of operating. And so in some ways, I think uh, for a lot of the things that we seek to be, there's sometimes kind of a, a synergy with the, the new year and the beginning of the year and fresh starts. And this is what we get to do. And so I want us to think today about the year ahead and think about uh, just really even the first month of 2024, we're going to think about ways in which we can follow Jesus more fully. And so we're going to do a short series, counting this week, it'll be six weeks altogether, but just this idea of trusting Jesus daily. How do we walk with him each and every day and begin to operate in the ways that he's called us to and what that looks like? And so I think of trusting Jesus daily, just simple steps to living fully. Uh, Jesus came and he said, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And it wasn't just talking about what happens after we die, but even right now and living, trusting him and walking with him and what that looks like. And so that's really what we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks. What does that mean and what does that look like? And and to be honest, it's actually pretty simple, actually. Uh, Jesus tells us uh, how to live and what it looks like, and it just means trusting the things he's told us and then doing them, right? Just following him and the things that he says. And that seems really simple when we say it, but the truth is, uh, oftentimes we really struggle with that. We struggle sometimes with actually living those out. Uh, sometimes within the church, we start to make following Jesus about being able to know the right things and being able to say back what those are and having the right doctrines and all those kind of things. But really what the Bible says and what it teaches and tells us is that to know those things is to then do them. Right, that that's actually what it even looks like. When you look in the Old Testament and it talks about this idea of to know or to knowing what that looks like, it actually means to be able to then do them and to be able to walk in them. And so that's what I want us to think about. Uh, simple habits that we can start to put into practice that help us follow Jesus daily, to be walking with him in all things. And so today what we're going to do in Colossians 3 that uh, Jeff just read to you is we're going to look just kind of foundational, some really important things 
that the Apostle Paul says here that's going to kind of be our foundation for the next five weeks that we're going to talk about after this. And so as we begin to look at what he says here, the foundational truths that are here, the first thing that I want us to consider and, and look at is just what God says about who you are. What is your identity and what does God say about who you are? But then secondly, why do we have such a struggle to believe that and to live that out, right? The things that he tells us are true and what he tells us about us and the way he's designed us to live. Why is that such a struggle to actually live that out? But then lastly, some practical steps that you can begin to take to live in the reality of who you are in Jesus and what God says about who you are. And so let's start with just big picture of who God says you are, what he says about your identity, what he says about the way he made you. And let me just remind you of this. As we think about that, it's easy, particularly in our culture today, to think what's true about me and who I really am is the way I feel and the things that I'm uh, feeling or the way I see myself are those things. But the truth is that God is your creator and what he says about you is what's actually true about you. He's the one that, that formed you and made you and put you together. And what he says is what is absolutely true about you. And so we want to let God's word stand over even the way we feel at different times. Even the ways that we maybe see ourselves. And let God's word stand over that and over us and authority over us as our creator and what he tells us. And so look at what it says here, right here at the beginning of Colossians chapter 3. And what the apostle Paul writes. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And I want to just stop there for just a second. And I really even want to just focus on what he says in verse 3 in the beginning of verse 4. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, your life, appears. And I love the way he says that of thinking about that Jesus is our life and that we are hidden in him. Uh, could even use the language that we use when we talk about the New City Catechism. I don't know if you've ever used New City Catechism. Every year, particularly around this time of year, beginning of the year, we'll talk about, hey, use New City Catechism. It's a great tool to help you in understanding big picture things. If you've never used it before, it's a free app you can download. It's great to do with your family. It's great to do with your kids. But New City Catechism gives you 52 questions, one for each week of the year, that just helps you kind of work through big ideas that the Bible presents about who God is and who we are and how those go together. And so if you go to New City Catechism, it tells us in the very first question, what is our only hope in life and death? And the short answer is that we are not our own, that we belong to God. And that idea that every bit of who we are belongs to God. And I want you to think about that a couple ways. One, we could say that in that God is our creator and our sustainer. We exist because God says so, right? Jesus spoke into creation. He is the very word of God as God spoke and the word goes forward and Jesus creates us. Nothing was made without him that was made, it says in John chapter one. And so we exist because God speaks us into creation. But then in Hebrews, it says he upholds us by the word of his power, right? So that is, we exist because God says so. Our, our very existence, the fact that we're here, that we can think, that we can perceive what's going on is all due to God and who he is and that he has created us. And so we owe everything to him. There's nothing that exists that doesn't exist because he has spoke it into creation. And so when we start to think about that in one way, we could say that we belong to God. 
or Christ is our life, or we are hidden in him, and all these kind of things that the language that it uses here is because he's our creator and sustainer. But then there's a second way I want you to think about it as well. He's also our redeemer. And so God creates us to know and to love him and to have a relationship with him, but he gives us real choices with real consequences. From the very beginning, he makes us conscious beings in his image to know and to love him, but giving us real choices with real consequences. And what happens is we take those choices and we choose to ignore him in the world that he created. We rebel against him. And we bring a break in that relationship with God because of our arrogance. We say, I can do this without you. And we take that real choice And we immediately make it to ignore God in the world that he created. We sin. That's what sin is. Rebelling against God in his world. But God in his mercy and his love for his creation, he comes to bring us back into that relationship by sending Jesus to be our redeemer, to bring us back, to deal with our sin, to bring us back into the relationship that we are created for. And so we go, as the Bible talks about, from death to life. I'm thinking Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy has caused you to become alive in Jesus. And so when we sin, spiritual death comes and we're cut off from that relationship with God. Although we're still held in existence by him, we're still made in his image. But then through Jesus, he brings us back into that relationship and he gives us new life or a rebirth or or being born again is the language the Bible uses. Jesus uses that in John chapter 3. And we're born again and we're brought into a new relationship with him. And then he says, now that you've come into this, you've died to sin, you've died to your old way of living. That's Romans 6, right? How can you who died to sin still live in it? You're dead to your old way of thinking and now you're a new life and you're hidden in Christ, which it talks about here. You're now clothed in Christ's righteousness as you put your trust in him. And so I want you to just think about that picture that the Bible sketches out for us from beginning to end. That every bit of who you are, every bit of all that you have and that you can do and that you can be is all owed to God. Every bit of it. So the New City Catechism starts with what is our only hope in life and death? You're not your own, you belong to God. And when we start to see exactly what Paul is saying here at the beginning, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, your life appears. Just to think about that phrase for a second. He is your life. He holds your life in existence. The reason that you can now approach a holy, righteous God is because of what Jesus has done and his righteousness for you. And everything good that you have in your life Everything good that you will ever do is due to God and what he's done for you in Jesus. And that is the reality of who we are. At our most core level. And I want you just to think about that for a second and what that looks like and what that should mean when we start to see that. I love this phrase here in the beginning of Colossians 3 when it talks about your life is hidden with Christ and God. It reminds me of a film that I saw a few years ago. There's a movie called A Hidden Life. I watched it a couple years ago. It's by a famous director named Terrence Malick. He makes kind of artsy type movies, but he's a, he is a believer. And a lot of his movies have these undercurrents in it. And he made this movie called A Hidden Life based on this verse. And it's, it's loosely based on a true story of a man named Franz Jagerstadter. If you don't know who Franz Jagerstadter was... 
He was an Austrian farmer who lived in the 1930s, early 1940s. And Franz Jagerstadter became a believer pretty early in his life, and he grew in his love for the Lord and wanted to seek to follow Jesus. And in 1940, he uh, got um, drafted into the Nazi army as they started to move into Austria. And Jagerstadter went, got called in, went in, and they asked him to swear an oath to Hitler. And he said, no, I will not do that. I will not swear an oath to Hitler. Everyone in his town, as the Nazis are coming in and taking over this town in Austria, we're going, what are you doing? Like, we got to get in line here. We're all going with this. You need to do this. It was like the peer pressure of his town. And he said, no, I won't do it. And so he kind of got to skate on that for a little bit, but everybody was telling him. 1943 rolls around, and he gets called into active service. And to be into active service, you have to make this oath to Hitler, and you have to make these steps. And he said, I cannot do this. And so in 1940, he was uh, put in prison for his beliefs, he had three young daughters and a wife that he was there to care for, and he went to jail because he would not swear allegiance to Hitler and he wouldn't fight for the Nazis. And they kept coming back to him and they kept saying to him, just sign this, the war's almost over, you'll probably never even have to fight, it's not that big of a deal, just sign this thing, and he said no. And the story of Franz Jagerstadter ends in 1943 as the Nazis beheaded him because he would not swear allegiance to Hitler. And you know what his last words were? His last recorded words are, I am completely bound in inner union with the Lord. He said, my life is hidden in Jesus and I am not doing this. I am not going to swear allegiance to Hitler. I'm not going to fight for the Nazis. And he was killed for it. And I think about it when I read this passage and he says here that your life is hidden with Christ and God, but then it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. And I think about that guy, guy that I've never met, an Austrian farmer on the other side of the world that lived almost a 100 years ago. And he said, no, I won't do that. And they took him in. And I think about the fear and the sadness that they're going to behead you that you're not going to see your daughters again, that you're not going to see your wife again, that he continued to hold firm in that because he knew that when Christ appears in glory, he's going to see who, him who is his life. And he held fast to that. And he said, no, I'm going to stand firm in who I am in Jesus. And he gave his life up for it. But I'm going to tell you, we can read that and we can go, wow, that's amazing. But the truth is, that's the only thing that makes sense if you understand these first four verses of Colossians 3. It's the only thing that's actually rational. If you know who Jesus is and you know what he's done for you, this makes perfect sense. And I want you just to think about that in your identity in Jesus and what that means and what that looks like. And as you think about 2024... As we go forward into the next year, what does it look like to really see our lives are hidden in him? And I think sometimes this kind of verse gets taken and it's almost twisted to be like the scare tactic. Like Jesus is going to appear. What are you going to be doing when he comes back? Maybe you heard that sermon before growing up. You don't want to be doing something bad and he comes back. But I want to say it this way. We get to live this way because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And he knows what's best for us. 
This isn't a scare tactic. This is a we get to do this in him. He's made us for this. He's created us. He is our creator and our sustainer and our redeemer. And he loves us so much and he's calling us into something so much fuller than we will find anywhere else. And that's who God says you are. That's who he tells us that we are, that we are his, that we belong to him in all things. But the second thing I want us to think about is why is that such a struggle? Why do we hear a story about a guy like Franz Jagerstadter and he's the exception, not the rule? Why do we hear that and go, that's amazing. That's amazing that that guy held so firm in his faith and he was willing to be beheaded. The story goes that his pastors and his own church that he grew up in in Austria were all going, just sign the thing. I think how sad that is, that they were all telling him that and he's going, no, I can't do that. Why is that the exception and not the rule? Well, look at what it says here in verse five and following. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming in these. You too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And there's a couple things I want to point out to you when you think about this for a second. This idea of we are born uh, in the original sin, right? Our, our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, sinned, sin entered the world, all men of sin. We are born into sin. And so our default in the sinfulness of our heart is to make ourselves the center of the world, to make it all about me. Right? He talks here about the ways in which you once walked. That apart from Christ, this is all of us. We all walk this way. And in fact, this is the way the world operates. It's the operating system of the world. So when he's talking about put to death that which is earthly in you, he's talking about the way the world, the way the earth functions apart from Jesus. A way it, the way it functions apart from what he's done for us. And so then he starts to talk about how you put away these things that which the way in which you once walked, verse seven, verse nine, he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so there's this new creation in you because of what Jesus has done. But everything around you is telling you, no, 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 this is the way the world works. And this is who you are. And this is what it looks like. And so I was thinking about uh, maybe not a perfect analogy, but it's kind of like a uh, a car that's manufactured. What's a car made for, right? A car's built to get you from point A to point B. You get in your car and you turn it on and hopefully it starts and it takes you down the road and that's the way a car works, right? But you think about it for just a second, a car that's built that way and then all of a sudden you drive the car for a while and then it dies, the engine blows up, it no longer works and you have a non-working car that just sits there. In a lot of ways, that's us apart from Christ, Right? We were designed to do one thing, to know and to love God and to center our world around him. But a sin enters and it gets in and it gums up all the works and it causes these issues. And we're no longer able to do the things that we were designed for. We're now seeing things not in the way that they actually are. But it's almost like you've been sitting in a junkyard for a long, long time in a non-working car that doesn't go anywhere. And now God comes in and he gives you a new engine 
and a new way to operate. And now you can go back down the road the way you were created to. But all the cars around you are like, no, 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 we just sit here. This is what it is. This is the way it works. This is what it looks like. This is the reality of the way the world is. And so what happens is we're so inundated with that all around us, the world telling us, no, 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 this is the way the world works. And no, 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 you're not designed to go down the road. That's not the way this works. And that's not what's going to happen. And so what ends up being the case is we don't start to live in the fullness of what God's created us for because we're letting our identity and who we are be uh, informed by the way the world operates rather than what God says. And so we struggle with those things. And so we start to form habits that operate in the way the world operates because that's what everybody around us does. And that's what everybody around us says. And we continue to operate that way. I think that's what he's even hitting at in verse 7 when he says, "In in these you too once walked when you were living in them. So before you were a believer and you're walking in these ways. But then in verse 9, when he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. And I want you to think about this, how uh, powerful habits are in your life. And so if you're living in the world, right, Jesus says he wants us to be in the world, but not of it. But when we live in the world and we become of it. And we start to operate in the same way and we're influenced by the things of the world and all the things that are around us. It's so easy for us to continue to go that way. And so what it's calling us to here, or maybe the answer to the question, I should say, of why it's so hard is because that everything, the tide is coming against us in so many ways. I've often thought of discipleship this way. Uh, it's like you're in the river that's flowing downstream and we're now given this new way of operating, but we still have to go upstream. And so there's no neutral in discipleship. I don't know if you've thought about that before. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not taking your thoughts captive, if you're not doing the things that God calls you to, if you're not in community, you're not doing those things, you will be discipled by the world. It's a certainty. 100%. You'll be inundated with all sorts of ideas and thoughts and things, and they won't be the things that God calls us to. And so we start to operate in those practices and that becomes really powerful in our life. And I want you to think about what Jesus says when it pertains to this. Matthew chapter six, he says very clearly, no one can serve two masters. For you will either hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. And usually that gets translated money. Right? You know what I'm talking about in Matthew chapter 6. You cannot serve God and money. The word that Jesus actually uses is mammon. He says you can't serve God and mammon. You know what mammon is? It's kind of like the things that money can buy you. It's kind of like the things that the world tells you will give you a good life. If you just had this. If you just had this house or this position or this car or this place. Then things would be good. And Jesus says you can't serve both. You can't operate believing that that's the way you get the good life and be serving God at the same time. And so the problem is we're inundated with that that at every turn all the time. And it comes at us from everywhere. And if we're not walking into it with eyes wide open and starting to establish new habits and trusting God in the things that he tells us and walking with him daily, we will get swept away with it. 
That's why someone like Franz Jagerstadter is the exception and not the rule. That's why everybody else around him is going, hey, just sign the thing, man. Just be part of the empire. This is the way it goes. And he goes, no, it's not. My life's not my own. And it's hidden in Christ, and I'm going to continue to trust him. And so unless we start to do that, it'll never change. Now, the good news is that God has done a work in you, and you are a new creation, and him working in you, he will do this work in you as we continue to trust him. He has given you a new way to live and a new way to think about it. But I want you to think about our part in trusting him in that. We do have a part to play. I mean, think you know this. Right? I use this kind of example all the time, but it's very true and you know it. You know it to be true. If you want to be and you believe your identity is to be an Olympic athlete. Some of you, maybe you were born with great athleticism and you've got those abilities and you have great, right? Some of that's genetic, right? I'm, I was never going to be an Olympic athlete. God didn't make me that way. But maybe some of you are. Maybe some of you could be. But you still have to get up and go do the work, right? You still have to actually put one foot in front of the other. There's no Olympic athletes that come home every day and plop down on the couch and start eating potato chips and watching Netflix. They don't exist, right? That doesn't happen. Those habits don't lead you to being an Olympic athlete. You know that to be true. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord of trusting him and walking with him. There's things that he calls us to. And that doesn't mean you're saved by doing those things. You're saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for you. But he calls you into a fuller life of trusting him in every area of your life. And beginning to put those things into practice. Beginning to walk that out. And that's true for all of us. So how do we do that? What's the answer here? If that's why we struggle, the tide of the world and those habits and those things, how do we then begin to walk in the things that God calls us to? Well, look at what he tells you here again in verse five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Notice the language he uses, put to death that which is earthly in you. Verse six, he says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming in these. You too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Do not lie to one another, verse 9, seeing that you have put off your old self with his practices. He says you have to make some changes in your life. And I want you to notice the language he uses. He says, put to death that which is earthly in you. I want you to think about what that means. And I want you to think about why he calls us to that. Put to death that which is earthly in you. And then right after that, he says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So there's two things I want you to think about there. The first part is the language he uses. Put to death that which is earthly. You go to war with these things. You don't cozy up to your sin. You don't go, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay. I'll deal with that tomorrow. That's not how you put something to death. Right? You don't just go, I'll slide that over there. You get rid of it. You throw it away. You get it out of your life. You go to war with it. You put it to death. And that's the language that he uses. But then we start to think about the motivation of how we do that and what are the steps that are there. And I want you to think about what he says right after that. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And there's two ways I want you to think about this. Sometimes people will say, well, Jesus came 
and he bore the wrath of God on the cross. And I think that's right. I think that is what the Bible teaches. First Corinthians five, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Talking about Jesus. So on the cross, he took on the sin of all those that would put their faith in him. And he bears the wrath of God in our place that we can be restored to the relationship we were created for with the father through what Jesus does. So he takes our sin upon himself and then he bears the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. That's why he's there. He who knew no sin, he didn't have any sin. He didn't deserve to be there, but he chose to, to take your sin and mine upon himself. And so please hear this. When we cozy up to our sin, we're cozying up to the thing that killed Jesus. That made it that he had to come and lay his life down. And so when Paul says, you put to death that which is earthly in you, for the account of God, wrath is coming because of this. Do you see the connection between the wrath of God and our sin And that's why Jesus lays his life down. And then we go, yeah, but I'm going to play around with my sin still. What? I mean, think about the, the the person you love most in your life. Whoever that is, your spouse, your kids, your family. And they're brutally murdered by someone who doesn't care who doesn't care at all and they're not repentant and they don't care one bit what you think and then your answer is, I'm going to go hang out with them and make friends with them. That's insanity. But that's the way we often operate with our sin. We make light of it and we don't put it to death and we don't take seriously. We don't realize what it's caused and what it's brought, the, the, the results of our sin. And the fact that Jesus came and laid down his life for us. But then I want you to think about this other side of it too. When it talks about the wrath of God is coming, right? It does say that. The wrath of God is coming. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. There'll be people that will tell you, well, Jesus went and he bore the sins of the world and he bore the wrath of God and there's no more wrath left. Jesus emptied all of it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That's not true. It says right here that the wrath of God is coming. And if you are not in Jesus, clothed in his righteousness, you will stand before God and you will bear the wrath for your sins. John 3 says the same thing. Romans 2 says the same thing. Don't you know God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But then right after that, it says, and if not, the wrath of God is coming. And so I want you to think about that two ways. One, I hope it's the the emphasis there is that it, you see what Jesus has done for you and you are trusting in him and it is melting your heart that God would do that for you and that he would take the wrath that you deserve. But if you are flipping about it and you don't care and you don't care at all about putting to death your sin, then you may not know Jesus. You may not know who he is. If you don't care at all, and you love your sin and you're like, I'm going to continue to cozy up to that. And he says, if that's the marks of your life in every way, then the expectation should be wrath. That's a scary thing. But that's what the Bible tells us. 
that God is holy and righteous. And so when we talk about putting to death those practices, putting to death our sin, I just want you to think about, well, what does that look like? Practically, I would tell you it means confession. It means sharing your struggles with other people and saying, I need help with this. Bringing it out into the light and going, this is where I'm blowing it and I need you to help me in this. You're not called to do this alone. You'll notice, we'll come back to this, but he says this all the way through. Bear with one another, forgive one another, correct one another. All these things that he's calling us to. But it's going to war with your sin. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better for one part of your body to be thrown away than your whole body be thrown into hell. That's the language that Jesus uses. And so we need to have that understanding and that seriousness of it. But then the second thing, kind of the positive side of that, well, how do we begin to do that? And you can read, well, don't do these things. Put to death that which is earthly in you. And then you get to verse 12 and it says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And you go, okay, so don't do this, do this. Simple as that, right? Just don't do those things and do these things. Is that how that works? Is it that easy? Just don't do this and do this? I don't think so. So how do we get there? How do we put to death this and then live in this? And I think the answer is right there in verse 9 and 10. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. So don't walk into this place and when people ask you how you're doing, go, everything's great. Don't live your Christian life with other people that don't know you and you just tell them everything's good all the time. We're all smart enough to know that's not true, right? You've lived long enough to know that you don't have it all together and everything's not perfect. Yes? I think that's probably true of all of us. So let's not do that. Let's not lie to each other. But then look at the very next thing he says. Have put on, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We we begin to see who we are in Christ and what he's done for us and being renewed in that truth. Uh, We talk here about gospel fluency, taking the truth of who you are in Jesus and speaking that to one another and reminding each other of that. Who you actually are, not who the world says you are who you are in Christ and you are a new creation and this is what's true of you. But then look at what he says in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What's he saying? Let God's word dwell richly in you. Let the peace of Christ be in you every moment of every day. Get your identity from what God says is true, not with what the world says is true. Go back to that over and over and remind one another of that. Be thankful of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus and remind each other of that. Gather together and sing psalms and spiritual songs and hymns and praise his name and go, thanks be to God that we're not left just like this, that he's doing a work in us and it's all his doing. And we tell each other that over and over. 
And we forget it and we blow it. We come and we repent. We go, I blew it. And we'll remind each other and we go, yes, and thankfully you're not saved by your perfect record. You're saved by Jesus' perfect record. And we remind each other of that. And we come back to that over and over and we spend time in God's word. And when I want to be believe lies about the world says, I open God's word and go, that's not what God says is true. And I remind you of that and you remind me of that and we encourage one another. No, 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 this is what's true about us. It's not what the world says. It's not even what you're feeling in this moment. But this is what's true. And we let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. It can't dwell richly in it, in you, if you never open your Bible. We can't correct and admonish one another if you're never known. You can't do these things in isolation. And that leads me to the last part here when you start to think about all this together. If you read through this and everything that he's saying, notice what it says all the way through it. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Right? Clear implication there. You're not supposed to be doing this on your own. So don't don't lie to one another. Be honest with where you've been and what your practices are and what those look like. Verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also, you also must forgive. That bearing with one another, you know what that literally means? It means holding each other up. Literally. Like when things are not going well and you're struggling and somebody puts their arm around you. I think of like, have you ever seen people when they finish a marathon and they just collapse and their family or whoever's there and they're about to fall down and they grab them and they literally hold them up? That's what that looks like. We're called to bear with one another and the things of life and what we're going through. And we're there to admonish one another and encourage one another. In all of this, what is he saying? He's talking about the way in which you put to death that which is earthly in you and begin to live out of these things is it happens in community. That we need one another. God has saved us into a family of faith and then calls us to walk together doing these things. And so I'm going to end here real practical boots to the ground and the way you can do that. We've been talking about read scripture together here the last month. Starting tomorrow, first day of 2024. There's a read scripture app that you can download and open up and it tells you what to read each week. And we're going to gather together on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock and we're going to look at a chapter that we've been reading together. And then we're going to talk about in our missional communities the sermon that we talked about and those scriptures and how they go together and what that looks like. And we are trying our very best to organize everything we do as a church so that we can be faithful to what God calls us to do. That we bear with one another and we encourage one another and we let the word of Christ dwell richly in our hearts as we walk that out together. And I know, not naive, I know for some of you that is horrifying to think about. For some of you it's scary to think about getting involved in a group and sharing what's going on in your life and having accountability and people knowing, knowing what's happening with you. Some of you have tried to read the Bible before And you started on it, 
and you got a month into it and you got way behind and you quit or you've done that for 10 years in a row and you're like, the idea of having accountability on reading the Bible, I'm going to blow it. That is not what's true of you. You are a new creation and God has great plans for you that are so much better than that. And he's calling you into that. He's calling you into something far greater. It might scare you to think about being in community because we're going to go, we want to share who Jesus is with our neighbors. And you go, I don't know about that. That is not true of you. You can share who Jesus is with your neighbors. You can begin to walk together with other people. God has great plans for you. It's way better than doing it alone. It's way better than doing it in isolation. When your sin comes out and you're known and you find repentance and forgiveness, it is way better than hiding in your sin. Way better. And I know that's hard. And I know that's difficult sometimes to even think about that. But what Jesus says is his plans are better. I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And so I want to invite you to make that step. You know where you are in that. You know the parts where maybe you haven't done that. I want you to hear as we let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. Right? As it says here. The Bible and what it's called. You're not going to be met with condemnation. It's not going to be like, well, you've never read the Bible. Okay. Let's do it together. Let's start today. We are a new creation in Jesus and we are forgiven and we can admit our faults and we can go forward with the gospel central and everything. So let's do that. That's my hope for 2024 for our church, that that would be the case. There would be more vulnerable and more excited and more pointing each other to Jesus than ever before. And we would see the fruit of that. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you for what you've done for us that you have done what we could never do for ourselves. We thank you that you tell us that we are a new creation, that you have great and wonderful plans for us, that you've called us into a life that is far better than anything the world can offer. Would you show us that today? Would you today show us the areas that we need to put to death things in us, things that maybe we're hiding or harboring? Would you show us the things that we need to pick up and begin to follow you more fully in? I pray for those that as you reveal those things, that you would remind them that they're forgiven because of what you've done for us, that we don't have to hide in those, that you are at work in that. And so we pray that you would do that in our lives, that you would knit us together in you, that you give us a unity that can only come from you and that your word would dwell richly in us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.